Welcome to Sense and Sustainability, your podcast channel for sustainable procurement. We hope you like what you hear. Please go to www.iso2400.org for more information, learning resources, tools and much more. Welcome to Sense and Sustainability. This is part two of our podcast with Dane McKindo, who talks about how his organisation has started to combine reuse of hardware with social value and how they can provide benefits to the community. Um, You mentioned earlier that some of your early experience in sustainability was around the social agenda. Would you like to talk to us about that, some of the things that you've done? And and, and and again, are there kind of specific things about the social agenda in New Zealand that, that you've addressed? Yeah. Okay. So the standout item, obviously, you know, is what we call the uh, Toy Tutu Tuki program, which is all about providing uh, young rangatahi within New Zealand some sort of digital device in the way of a laptop. And the the concept I've already briefed on is you know around you know bringing in old corporate laptops. I use the word term old loosely. First use laptops coming back in, we refurbish them, we acetize them, we you know do what needs to be done. We put it through um, tag and test, so you know or test and tag, so we can get the make sure we get electrical compliance, and then send them off to schools, uh, and it's typically low decile schools, and you know some of these children have never had a laptop before, and the the concept of doing it was you know an idea that came out the back of a commercial RFP that we were responding to for government, actually. And when we started looking through the actual the RFP contents, we sort of looked and go, well, our government's replacing, on average, 85,000 desktop laptop devices within a year. Um, and that's a significant amount. When we start looking at that, you know, 85,000 devices coming out of one organisation, being the government, there's 120 to 130,000 at-risk youth within New Zealand within these low-decile schools. It doesn't take long to work that math out, going, this is, this wouldn't take long to actually fix. So the idea flew around within the company for a little while. We managed to sort how it was going to be done, the logistics. A lot of the problems, a lot of the problem we had, the biggest problems we've, we encountered through that time was actually the logistics and how exactly we're going to execute it. The second problem came with COVID is that when we were about to pick up all the laptops from the corporates uh, that we had signed up, COVID hit, we got went back into full lockdown here in New Zealand and uh, all these laptops were locked in the, in the buildings so we couldn't get to them. So it delayed it quite a bit. But once we did get the laptops, we you know we did what we needed to do, sent them down to, to two schools in Invercargill. Yeah, Invercargill geographically within New Zealand in relation, I guess, to Auckland, Auckland is pretty much at the top of the North Island, kind of in line with Melbourne-ish, Sydney-type area on, on the on the globe. Invercargill is about two and a half, uh, 1,500, 1,600 kilometres south in the South Island. So we're separated by a big body of water, and, of course, it's right. There. So, you know, Invercargill are, are very much the bottom of, of the South Island and probably the most furthest you can get away from corporate Auckland. So it was the ideal place to try and see if we can make it work. We also have other initiatives running in the cargo to try and build a better uh, environment and everything down there across the board. But it was just logical to really test it down there. So 
within a short period of time after that, we managed to get two schools fully equipped with laptops. And there was, uh, I can't remember the exact number of students now that had laptops, uh, but the photos that we got back with the lap, with the children with laptops was just, you know, very moving. Most of them had never had a laptop before. They all of a sudden had a laptop, not only that they could use at school, but they could take home, you know, and they could then do their homework and they could do everything else. We've been having research uh, and impact assessments done recently. And by all accounts, it has been probably the single biggest shift in at least one of those schools that almost to the point where teachers are saying that they need to redo how they're teaching these students because once they've had the laptops and they've been able to access the information and everything online, they're accelerated their learning significantly. There are some local metrics that get looked at down there. And there's one particular area which one school falls in. It is the only school in that area. So when the when the dial moves for that locality, it's a clear thing of what, what changed. The only thing that changed with that school was that they had laptops. So it's it's an immediate impact. The we've had um, our CEO Jason Paris down there. He's met the children. He's met the teachers. Uh, he does a lot of work down there. He's actually a southerner as well, so he's actually a southern boy. And you know he's seen the impact in, in there as well. And that just reinforces it across what an impact one organisation can have when you team with your customers or your partners. So. Yeah, that's in a nutshell, that, that, that program. That's an amazing story. <laughs> At the end of each year, we, we tend to get the, the laptops back because we want to retest them and make sure that they're still safe and send them back out. The, the good thing about the New Zealand school system, I guess, I'll just add on to this, right, is that the, they typically use you know Google Chrome-type uh, operating systems. They don't need Windows, so they don't need a lot of the bloatware that comes on laptops. So it's a very cut-down version of an operating system on there, which, as we know, when we cut the software down on laptops, they will go and go and go, and they, they operate at speed. So, yeah, it's it's been working extremely well. And we're look, now looking at how we can actually power the South Island. That's absolutely amazing because you know that, that's sort of everything in a nutshell, isn't it? But you, where you can actually see and demonstrate the social benefit of, of what you've done, all the way back to the business case, it, it kind of makes you think. Well, why, why doesn't every government in the world do that? Because there's yeah. kind of there's no reason not to, is there? I mean, if if you're going to improve the educational attainment of your young people by simply reusing something that's been discarded by another organisation further up the uh, up the chain. That's, that's absolutely incredible. Thank you for that. Did you use the expression bloatware? Yes. <laughs> I love that. I've never heard that before. <laughs> that's, that's oh, a, that's a, it's that's a really very old term. <laughs> I did tell you I started out as an engineer, right? So I've got yeah. all, a few of the old school uh, things. Even though, yeah, I mean, yeah but, well, me too, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I, when I started my career, I, I had a, a laptop which I think had maybe 500 meg of RAM, and you know, Windows back then could operate on that. But you know, when they yeah. started um, enhancing everything, all of a sudden, if you didn't have a hundred gig of RAM allocated just for Outlook, your laptop yeah. wasn't going to work, right? So, yeah. Uh, yeah, I say I say bloatware because you know all of the the corporate apps require a significant amount of RAM and a yeah. lot of um, hard drive space. 
whereas you know Chrome and a lot of the other um, smaller operating yeah. systems Linux and that can operate on much less. So yes, I call it bloatware, but it's just a <laughs> an overgrown operating system. Absolutely, yeah. No, that's uh, that's fantastic. Thank you. Uh, in uh, I've not been to New Zealand. I've not really worked in New Zealand, but I have worked quite a lot in Australia. And uh, and what strikes me when I go to Australia is the whole uh, agenda around Indigenous people. Do you have a, a, a similar agenda in New Zealand? Uh, that's a hot topic here at the moment. Yeah, so there is uh, inequity across New Zealand, and we do have the Treaty of Waitangi, which was signed many, many years ago. We we differ quite a bit from Australia in that you know Australia didn't really have a treaty. You know, I don't know enough about the Australian history. I know snippets of it, but I certainly know New Zealand history uh, of what I was taught in school. But the treaty was signed already way back. But you know and for a large degree of it, it was ignored, and you know there was that's it's progressed over the years, and there's been a, a significant shift in that in the last you know twenty years here, um, and thanks to the government helping you know through the time and and saying that you know we've got to focus on the treaty, we need to um, respect the treaty, uh, we need to um, look at it in the spirit that it was signed, but there's a lot of damage to un- unpick, you know where there are areas of New Zealand that have been completely neglected. And that's kind of where I want to focus. And I, I grew up as a young boy in Rotorua in New Zealand. Rotorua is just a, a at the time a, a reasonably small town, not quite a city, but you know Rotorua even still today has a very clear divide of super wealthy and everyone else. Uh, that everyone else when I was growing up there was quite a long way down on the wealthy scale right you know heading down towards the bottom end of it actually so even when we turned up to uh, schools to play rugby depending on which school it was is whether we actually got to wear shoes rugby shoes or whether they had to wear bare feet because the school or the children maybe not couldn't afford shoes right so it seems an odd thing these days to think about that you couldn't afford um, rugby shoes but it was an actual a decision when we got to the to the school as to whether we wore shoes or no shoes. So, yeah, but yeah, it's it's very much lit. There are a hot topic around at the moment, and the wanting to reverse a lot of things. You know, government departments have put um, Maori name first before the the English name. We've been um, changing signs across the country, which has been fantastic, but reverting back at the moment actually with the current government. I'm not quite sure what that agenda is. But, um, yeah, I don't really think I should probably speak on that. <laughs> no, 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 we won't get into politics. <laughs> yeah, no, we're talking about sustainable procurement. We'll, we'll keep off yeah. keep off politics. Final question for, for me, unless, and obviously, unless there's anything that you want to add. We, you know, in ISO2400.org, what we're trying to do is build the body of knowledge about sustainable procurement around the world. That's our, our mission. What advice would you have for somebody in the world that wanted to procure more sustainably and, and maybe doesn't know where to start? Understand why you want to do it. You know, the easy answer is, oh, because it's good for the environment. No, wrong answer. What is the reason you want to do it? I mean, anyone can just say oh, it's good for the world, right? But what is the reason? What is the what is the why? And once you understand what your why is, then you can start looking at how. And you know, the the why for me was easy. It was social. 
I wanted to make an impact and make better lives for New Zealanders. The side effect of that is I make a better environment for for New Zealanders. So, you know, once you understand your why, that's probably the, the top of the top of the items. The other pieces that I'd be looking at is your customers. Understand your customers and what they need to consume versus what they want to consume from a supplier perspective. There's a another view which you know I've pretty much you know been it's been a, a big focus for me for for a number of years is truly partnering with suppliers as opposed to treating them like suppliers. I tend to generally not call, refer to any of them as suppliers; they are partners. But the um, the idea of actually creating a true partnership is making them understand not just what we as an organization need to do, but what my customers are demanding, and then starting to put them on the hook. So it's probably the, the I think, is that, what is that, three, three top items, I think? But yeah, it's, you know, understand the why, define how, and then work with your your, your partners, make them partners, make yeah. them deliver the what you need to deliver together. That's fantastic. Thank you. I love that. I love the, the understand why. Um, I, I was, when I was on the ISO 2400 committee for, for four years to develop the standard, I used to bang on every meeting about the, the why, but actually a, a lot of my um, uh, counterparts on the committee were saying, well, we need to make the case in the standard. We need to tell people why they should do it. And I was always, no, we need to ask them why, because every organization will have a different reason. And and that eventually that, that why model ended up in the standard. I was uh, I, I fought hard to keep that because it's really important, as you say, it's, it's it, the why is in the context of the business or the public organization or, or whoever you, you work for. Um, that's yeah. really, really important to, to get that out there. And, and then I always say your why will drive your what. So, uh, as you say, if, if your why is about making life better for New Zealanders, then your what ends up with the, the sort of projects that you described around, uh, you know, refurbished laptops for children in schools. And, and that's, yeah. but if your why is something different, if your why is about risk and reputation risk, then you might look at, uh, you know, ethical issues procuring in the developing world or whatever it might be. So, yeah, really, really important that, that for me, Sustainability is a thing in context, and 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 the context starts with the why. So yeah, fantastic. Thank you very much for that. Okay, and um, so I guess we'd uh, we better wrap. We talked for quite a long time about quite a lot of stuff, so uh, uh, which is amazing. And and hopefully our, our audience will find some of your ideas and some of the things that you've done inspirational, and we can uh, we can help people to uh, uh, to go on their journey. So thank you very much for joining me. Um, it's been a, a pleasure and an inspiration, and I look forward to speaking to you again. Thank you. That's been fantastic. Thank you very much. Thank you for listening to our podcast on Sense and Sustainability. Please listen out for more episodes. For more information, learning resources, tools, and much more content on sustainable procurement, go to www.iso2400.org.